Good evening. Tonight is Tuesday night, September 14, 2021. This is our Shuva Drusha. This is the opportunity that we have on an annual basis in the days before Yom Kippur to gather as a community. This year we're gathering virtually as a community, but to gather as a community to study, to be inspired by each other, to discuss some of the themes of Yom Kippur, to prepare ourselves for the holiest day of the year, for the Day of Atonement. And the subject that I'd like to discuss with you tonight is the subject of Kol Nidre, the famous prayer with which we begin this holiday tomorrow night. Kol Nidre is a dramatic opening to Yom Kippur. It's curious that it does not contain any themes of forgiveness or atonement. In fact, it's not even a prayer. It is a statement. So how is this the most appropriate opening for this awesome day? First, a little bit of background. Because in fact, Kol Nidre is based on a short, rather obscure passage in the Torah, in the Parsha of Matos, regarding the annulment of vows. The Torah tells us that we must keep our word. If we make a promise, it is a serious sin to break that promise. If the promise is to another person, I promise to do something for you, for example, to give or repay a loan, to do a favor. There is no way out. Our promise commits us and we must fulfill it. But if the promise is to myself, for example, let's say I make a promise to myself that I'm going to lose weight or I make a promise that I'm going to exercise. I have not made that promise but I'm just using it as an example. I ought to, but I, I haven't. Or let's say I make a promise to a 10 minion to come to shul more often. Then, under certain circumstances, a person can come before a betin, which is a Jewish court of three expert judges, three rabbis, and plead that though they made the promise with the most noble of intentions, however, circumstances have changed. A new injury prevents continuing exercise. Waking up early has a negative effect on helping to get the children ready for school, etc., etc. And if the judges feel this pleading is valid, they may annul the vow. That's the subject in Jewish law of the annulment of vows. Annulment of vows does not allow us to weasel out of our moral or legal obligations, but it does allow us, under certain limited circumstances, to remove the obligation of the promise so that we will not have allowed our words to go unfulfilled. Kal Nidre is not about Yom Kippur. As I said, it's not even a prayer. 
It is a statement that each of us makes in the presence of the community that any promises or oaths we will make during the coming year, which are subject to annulment, should be considered as wishes only, without the obligatory nature of a promise or an oath. Okay, so with that background, allow me to share with you a classic presentation of the Rav, Rabbi Yosef Soloveitchik of Blessed Memory, on why it is that we do begin Yom Kippur with Kol Nidre. So the Rav begins by asking the following question. The emphasis on Yom Kippur is Teshuva, repentance, and Kapara, forgiveness. Why do we begin Yom Kippur with Kol Nidre, which singles out a specific sin, unfulfilled vows or promises, how is that worse than any other sin? How is that more deserving of attention than any other sin? Why start with that one particular sin at the beginning of Yom Kippur? Or, to put it a little differently, on Yom Kippur, we can achieve kapara, atonement, forgiveness, for all of our sins with teshuva, with sincere repentance and the various steps that that requires. So if we can achieve forgiveness through the process of repentance, why do we need to annul vows at the very beginning of Yom Kippur? Why not just rely on the repentance? We will repent for any vows that we made that we did not fulfill, just like for any other sin that we will repent for on Yom Kippur. So let's start to answer this by reviewing the historical background of Kol Nidre, which is fascinating, complicated, and controversial. Some believe that Kol Nidre was developed by the conversos during the Inquisition. Remember that they were forced on pain of death to live as if they were Christians, but they retained their Jewish belief and practice in secret. So once a year, they would have a ceremony in secret, in private, to nullify their outward vow to Christianity and reassert their true belief in God, one God, and in Judaism. So that's a theory that you will see in different places. That's the origin of Kol Nidre. The only thing is that we do find Kol Nidre earlier than the Inquisition. We find Kol Nidre as early as the 8th century of the Common Era. Though, Rabbi Eli Monk suggests that perhaps the tune that we use for Kol Nidre, which is so memorable and so evocative and so mournful, perhaps that tune originated from the conversos because they were saying this prayer under these dire circumstances with tremendous sadness. Perhaps that's the origin of the tune. But 
from the earliest references of Kol Nidre in the 8th century, many scholars objected to it. Rav Hai Gon, Rav Natroni Gon, two of the greatest scholars of that era, wrote as follows. Ain no again, lo bi yeshiva v'lo b'chol makam, lahatir nedarim, lo b'rosh Hashanah v'lo b'yom kippurim. We do not have the custom at all anywhere. We do not have this custom of annulling vows, neither before Rosh Hashanah nor on Yom Kippur. But we heard, like we heard a rumor that in some other places there's this practice to say kol nidre. But that's not our custom. It's not our practice. We don't do that. What's the objection? What's wrong with saying kol nidre? Well, there are a number of objections to Kol Nidre. First of all, it's very misleading because it seems like, it's not, but it seems like this is an easy way out that can lead people to make vows carelessly. If I know that all I have to do is annul any vow that I'm not going to keep, I can make vows whenever I want. But the Torah says as follows. The Torah says, When you do make a vow, do not delay fulfilling that vow. Fulfill it right away. Because if you do, If you do not fulfill your vow, God will demand punishment from you for not fulfilling your vow. It's a very, very serious sin. But if you refrain from making a vow, you will not have a sin. There's no need to make a vow. If you're going to do something, do it. Don't have to make a vow about it. And in fact, in the Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law, that discusses Hilchus Nedarim, the Law of Oaths and Vows, the first paragraph, rule number one, al tihi ragil b'nedarim, don't make vows. It's not a good practice to make promises and vows. Afal pishimakaimo, nikra rasha v'nikra chote, a person who makes vows, even if they fulfill the vow, they're called wicked and they're called a sinner. It's not the right thing because the danger is too much. Why get into the trouble that may come from making a promise and then breaking it? It's better not to do that. So, Kol Nidre is going to lead people to make more vows, but we do not want people to make vows and promises. That's number one. Number two, it's also very misleading because... As I mentioned before, the type of vow that is subject to being annulled is a very specific type of a vow. It's a vow or a promise that I made to myself that doesn't affect any other person. But Kol Nidre is really misleading. It doesn't really explain that explicitly. A person might come to think, I can make any promise to anybody, and all I have to do is say, uh, annul the vow, and I don't have to keep my word. 
it's not true. I can't get out of my obligations to others, but a person could easily make the mistake of thinking that annulling vows, doesn't that mean that I can just uh, ignore any promise that I made to another person? In fact, Kol Nidre figures heavily in the subject of anti-Semitism. People felt and even today feel that Jews are not trustworthy because there's this ceremony before Yom Kippur where whatever promise they made, they can just annul it and get rid of it. So, for example, a non-Jewish person would think to themselves or would say or would accuse, uh, you borrowed money from me, you promised to pay it back, and now you're going to go have your ritual in your synagogue and you're going to annul the vow and now you don't have to pay me back. And that actually was was and is a charge that anti-Semites have made against Jews by misunderstanding Kol Nidre. Okay. Then there's a whole nother category of problems with Kol Nidre. The problem with Kol Nidre is that annulling vows must be before a Bezdin a Jewish court. Now that is either three learned rabbis or one who is a scholar with expertise in this subject. And in order to annul the vow, I have to come before the judge or the court and I have to give a reason why I'm not able to keep that vow that I made to myself and I must say what the vow was and why I'm not able to do it. And the judge must find that my reasoning has validity, is substantial enough to warrant annulling. It's not just an automatic thing. It's not just you say it and it happens. It's a procedure. It's a legal procedure. And clearly, none of that is happening at Kol Nidre. There is no court. Nobody's saying, I made this and this promise. No one is giving a reason for why they're not keeping it. It's just this blanket statement. It does not have the halachic validity of doing what it is supposed to do. Now, it is true that many people have a practice before Rosh Hashanah to have a ceremony called Hataras Nadarim, the annulment of vows, that does more closely resemble the halachic category of annulling vows. A person before, appears before a betin, a court. But even there, all the conditions are not met. The standard line that is said of the person who is pleading before the judges, he says, I'm not able to tell you every single promise that I made that I'm worried that I might not fulfill because I don't even remember them all. But that doesn't work. I mean, <laughs> you, have to, you have to have a specific vow or an oath in mind. Otherwise, the whole thing doesn't work. And this is a big problem 
in the text of Kol Nidre. Because the oldest text of Kol Nidre says as follows. And this is the text that we find in the Sidur, the prayer book of Rabbi Amram, Rab Amram, who was from the time of the Gaonim, the 7th or 8th century, approximately, of this era. Call Nidre, etc., any oath or promise or vow that I made. Miyom Kippurim Shavar, from last Yom Kippur, ad Yom Kippurim Zeh, until this Yom Kippur, meaning any oath or promise that I made from the previous Yom Kippur until now should be Icharatna Bahon, I regret it. And I want it to be lo shririm velo kayam, and I want it to have no effect and no validity. I want you to annul it. But that's the problem. <laughs> the annulment of vows doesn't work like that. All of the objections that we raised exist for this text. So, at the end of the 11th century, came along Rabbeinu Tam. Rabbeinu Tam was the grandson of Rashi. And Rabbeinu Tam amended the text. And according to Rabbeinu Tam, the text says, call Nidre any oaths or vows or promises, miyom kipurim zeh ad yom kipurim haba. From now, from today, going forward until next Yom Kippur should be annulled and not become a vow. In other words, according to Rabbeinu Tam, this has nothing to do with annulling existing vows. It has to do with a prior invalidation. I am saying today that if I make a statement in the future that sounds like it's a vow or an oath, it's not a vow or an oath. This is not annulling a vow. This is simply stating that what I say in the future will not become a vow. So this at least takes care of some of the objections that we saw before. Okay, I know it's a little confusing. So today, there are four different customs that exist in the world. One custom is, don't say it at all. And by the way, many Sfardim do not say Kol Nidre. It is not part of Yom Kippur. And they find it very strange that... Uh, uh, that Ashkenazim makes such a big deal of Kol Nidre and everybody comes and it's so solemn and it's not in their, it's not in their, uh, it's not in their experience at all. That's one custom. Custom number two, some places will follow the Sidur of Rav Amram, that it is like an annulling of vows. It talks about what I promised from last Yom Kippur until now. Okay, with all the problems that we mentioned, but that is a custom that exists. Custom number three is to say Kol Nidre using the text of Rabbeinu Tam. It's about the future. It is a prior invalidation of what I say in the future to make sure it does not become a vow that I might make the mistake of not fulfilling. That, by the way, is the custom of Adath. And there are some places that have a fourth custom to say both texts. 
The Birnbaum Machsar follows custom number three, which is the custom of Adath. The Art Scroll Machsar has both. It has one text and then the second text in brackets. So you get to choose one or the other or both. Okay. Four different customs. I know it's taken a long time, but now we're ready to appreciate the answer that the Rav gives to the original question according to each version of Kol Nidre. Rav Amram, his version is the annulment of past vows. Or Rabbeinu Tam, his version is the invalidation of future oaths from becoming oaths. And the Rav explains as follows. The process of teshuva, of repentance, has two components after we stop doing the sin. That is, the first thing you have to do is stop making the mistake. Now, there are two parts. Charata al ha'avar, to regret what we did in the past. And kabola al ha'asid, to commit in the future, not to do the sin again. Regret over the past means if I committed a sin, I should feel terrible about it. I should feel disappointment in myself about it. I should feel ashamed that I did such a sin. Based on a verse from the prophet Ezra, which we repeat in our Yom Kippur prayers several times. Got my God, I'm ashamed and embarrassed to even raise my face in front of you because of the sins that I have done. Feeling embarrassed, ashamed, feeling that I am disappointed in myself, that's a very important feeling to show how much disdain I have for that mistaken action I did, how I want to distance myself from it. The Talmud goes so far as to say, whoever commits a sin and they're embarrassed by having done it, that is a major part of their being forgiven for those sins. Because they are demonstrating they don't want to be part of that. They feel ashamed of it. It's not who I am. I don't want to be associated with that. And the reason that that's so important is because teshuva, repentance, provides forgiveness. A person can say to another, I forgive you. God can say to us, I forgive you but it can't erase the past. And if I truly regret it, I should feel that being forgiven is not enough. I wish it could be erased. I wished it could be like I, it never happened. You know the feeling. Maybe you don't know. I know this feeling. When you say something that hurts another person, and as soon as the word comes out of your mouth, you realize you, the hurt you caused, you would do anything to take it back. But here's the thing. 
even if you apologize, and even if you're forgiven, and even if it's sincere, but the hurt you cause still is there. You wish you could go back in time and make it as if you never said those words, but there's no way to do that. It's impossible. With one exception. The one exception is in the case of a sin that comes from an unfulfilled promise. Where, if it, assuming it is subject to hataras nadarim, to the annulment of vows, annulling a vow means it's retroactive. When a person goes through the procedure that I mentioned, with in front of the judge, with the pleading, and it's accepted, and the court or the judge annuls the vow, that means retroactively it was never a vow. It means retroactively no vow was created. It is the one area of Jewish law where I'm able to actually erase the sin from ever having happened. And it is crucial to begin our search for forgiveness on Yom Kippur for all of our sins, that we begin it with a sin relating to vows, not because it's the most serious, but because this is the only sin where we can reach the ideal of regret, not just to be forgiven, but to recreate the past so that no sin was ever committed. That's what we achieve through Kol Nidre. And that should guide us through Yom Kippur with all of our other sins to feel as much as possible regret over what happened in the past. The second element of teshuva, of repentance, is Kabbalah al Ha'asid. I commit that going forward, I will not commit this sin again. The Rambam says, Maimonides says, Mahi atshuva, what is the essence of repentance? V'yasiru mimachashavto, I should be able to commit that I'm never going to do this sin so much that I remove the subject from my mind. The yigmar belibo, and I resolve in my heart, shulayaseu oh, that I will not do it again. Umisrachek harbe minadavashakotabo, and I distance myself from this subject, from the issue that I did, that I made the mistake with. I distance myself from it. I have no connection to it. And we express this in our Yom Kippur prayers. Near the end of every Amidah that we say on Yom Kippur, we say, May it be your will, God, that I do not sin again anymore. And we say that to fulfill this aspect of Teshuvah of 
Kabbalah al Ha'asid, to commit for the future that we are not going to recommit this sin. We say it, but how do we say it and mean it? How do we achieve the Yigmar Belibo that we have concluded and resolved in our heart that we are not going to do it again? How do we achieve Umisrachek, the, the Rechuk, that we have distanced ourselves from ever committing this sin again? How do we achieve that? There is only one area of Jewish law where there exists a way to prevent a sin from occurring in the future. And that is in connection with a vow or an oath. Where I make a statement that anything I say in the future should not be construed as a vow. And this, according to Rabbeinu Tam, is the purpose of Kol Nidre, the prior invalidation of what I say in the future from becoming a vow. Mi Yom Kippurim Zeh, from today, from this Yom Kippur, Ad Yom Kippurim Abba, until next Yom Kippur, anything that I say that may seem like it is a vow, I'm stating now in the presence of the community, it is not a vow. This is the only way we can dramatically, legally demonstrate our resolve not to recommit this sin and mean it. And we begin Yom Kippur with this and set the tone for our resolve in every other area. So, according to the Rav, we begin Yom Kippur with Kol Nidre because the details of this sin of breaking vows uniquely allows for the ideal conditions of Kapara, forgiveness. Thus setting the tone for how we will try to deal with every other area of life that needs improvement. Permit me to add one final element. Until now, we have focused on the one who wants to annul their vow. But there is another party, the Dayan, the Betin, the judge, the one who annuls. In the Hataras Nadarim, the annulment of vow ceremony that takes place before Rosh Hashanah, which I mentioned to you is a little bit closer to the halachic, technical manner of the annulment of vows. A person, a pleader, stands before another person, a dayan, a judge, or three, a betin, and says the following words. Shimon Arabose Deyanimumkim, listen, please, judges, you expert judges. Call Neder Oshvua any promise or oath that I made. 
I regret having made them retroactively. And I request from you, respected judge, that you should annul that vow. Okay? That's the process of annulling vows. Once the pleader has finished the text, I just read an excerpt, it's a page and a half of legalese, of the different types of vows and legal language. Once the pleader finishes this request that the judge or judges should annul the vow, then the judge responds. Hakol yiyu mutarim lach. Hakol mechulin lach. Everything should be forgiven for you. Ein kan lo neder velo shvua. I remove from there ever having been an oath or a promise. Aval yesh kan mechila uslicha v'chapara. But what there is, is pardon and forgiveness and atonement. And just as you have been pardoned through the human court, through the process of annulling this vow, so should you be forgiven and pardoned by the heavenly court, by God himself. This is the only area of Jewish law where one person has the ability to remove the sin of another. If you come to me and say, I forgot it was Shabbos last Saturday and I violated Shabbos, there's nothing that I can do. I can't say, no matter how expert a judge I might be, I can't say, I proclaim that last Saturday was actually Sunday and you did not sin. I can't say that. If you broke Shabbos, it's between you and God. Take it up with God. There's nothing that I as a human being can do to help you with that. But I, as a Dayan, as a judge, or you, I can be mater your netter. I can annul your vow retroactively so that it removes your sin of not fulfilling it from ever having happened. The Talmud says, whoever has compassion on others God will have compassion on him. Whoever forgives others, God will forgive them. There was a Hasidic Rebbe who was so highly regarded and respected by his Hasidim, his followers, he had a son who went off the derech. He went off the path. 
the son was no longer a religious Jew. But the Rebbe insisted that whenever his son came to visit, he would sit in the honored position at the Rebbe's right-hand side. The Hasidim, the followers, speaking among themselves, objected to it. How can it be, sitting on the dais next to our holy Rebbe, our holy master, is this person who does not observe Judaism, who violates the Sabbath, who eats non-kosher food? How is it possible to have a person like that sitting next to our holy teacher, our holy master? And they finally decided, it bothered them, it bothered them, and they finally decided that they would appoint a delegation. And the delegation would approach the Rebbe and explain to the Rebbe that it just it doesn't look right. It's not nice. It's not fitting that this person who has left Jewish practice should be sitting in a place of honor next to the Rebbe. Okay. But this delegation was reluctant because after all, we're going to go tell the Rebbe that what he's doing is not right. So they put it off. They put it off. Finally, it was the afternoon before Yom Kippur. The Rebbe was alone in his study. And the delegation went up to his study and they were going to go in and they were going to raise this issue with him once and for all to take care of this before Yom Kippur starts. As they were about to knock on the door, they heard the Rebbe inside his study. And they heard that he was davening, he was praying out loud with tears on behalf of his community, on behalf of the Jewish people, on behalf of the world. He was praying in private, but aloud. Of course, he didn't know they were outside the door, but they could hear every word. And they heard their Rebbe say the following prayer. The Rebbe said, Ribono Shalola, master of the universe, forgive the Jewish people for their sins. They do sins, yes, but you should forgive them. I also have a son. My son does lots of sins. But look at how I treat my son with respect. I forgive my son. I treat him as a deserving son. If I can do that for my son, you should do that for yours. The Hasidim heard this from the other side of the door and they had their answer. And they walked away. We invoke this specific subject of the annulment of vows to begin Yom Kippur because it uniquely reminds us of our ability to forgive. And by forgiving others, achieve forgiveness. For ourselves. That's why we begin Yom Kippur with Kol Nidre. 
through our reaching for authentic and meaningful teshuva repentance and through our compassionate forgiving of others. May God say to every single one of us, this Yom Kippur, Salachti, I forgive you. My friends, I want to wish you an easy and a meaningful Yom Kippur. And I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person.